Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the Man Up Screen Podcast. My name is Mike Zumo, and on this episode we are going to wrap up our coverage of Adam Man vs. Superman, which will conclude my coverage of the Superman serials starring Kirk Allen as Superman. It's the end of a long 10-week process. At the end of this episode, we'll have gone through 30 chapters over the course of two serials and covered the telling of two uh, pretty good Superman stories. I enjoyed the Adam Man vs. Superman serial better than Superman the serial, but for their time, there were two very good tellings of in Superman's chronicles on the screen. But before I get into the final three chapters that I'm going to cover on this episode, I am recording this episode on Thursday, May 12th. This episode is scheduled to be released on Tuesday, May 31st. So what I'm about to say is going to be a little dated. This is why I don't generally have news items on the show, because I record my episodes at least several weeks in advance of when they drop on the feed. But I felt this was important enough to mention, even though it is two weeks later. Today we got word, on, like I said, on May 12th, that Supergirl was renewed for a second season. However, there will be some changes to the show, as... Apparently, there were some issues over the budget and uh, basically how much bang CBS got for its buck. According to some of the reports I've read, CBS paid a licensing fee of about $3 million to Warner Brothers Television to air the show on the network. Apparently, the 7 or so million viewers per episode was lower than what CBS was used to from other shows that had previously run on the Monday 8 p.m. time slot. And... I have mixed feelings. I'm glad the show is being renewed. You know, like I talked about on the Man of Screen Extra episode that I did with Bob Fisher and Rebecca Johnson, I enjoyed the show, even though I thought the handling of Superman was a little screwy. But overall, it was a good show. It It is a good show, and I'm glad that it's being renewed. But, you know, there are good and bad things to about this renewal. Well, we'll start with the good. I mean, the reality is, from day one, I always thought that Supergirl was a CW show. It caters to that demographic, and I never really felt like it fit on the CBS lineup, which, you know, for good or ill, you know, skews older and not so much toward a geek crowd. Even with Gotham kind of plugging along on Fox, the big three have struggled with superhero fare going back pretty much as long as I can remember. Those of us who have watched Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman when it was on in the mid, the early to mid-1990s, remember that the show was originally supposed to get a fifth season, but it was kind of unceremoniously canceled at the last minute because of low ratings, and well, quite frankly, the quality of the show was getting pretty poor at that point, but it was canceled rather unceremoniously, and that's something I'll talk about down the line when I get to my coverage of Lois and Clark. But like I said, CBS with its CSIs and its heavy dramas really doesn't gear to so much toward a geek crowd. The DNA of, this, of the Supergirl television show shared a lot in common with The Flash, Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow, which all air on the CW. So, apparently with this move to the CW, the production studios will move to Vancouver, where apparently it is cheaper to film in Vancouver than it is in Los Angeles. And um, if the show pulls the kind of numbers on CW that it did in CBS, it would actually be the... Top-rated show on the network, I believe. The Flash, at the moment, has been the top-rated show on the CW. But while the numbers weren't strong enough for the show to stay on CBS, the numbers would definitely succeed on the CW. Now, my main concern, obviously, will is budget. 
I don't know much about how TV budgets work, but from what I'm hearing, the show might be seeing its budget cut, and whether it is or not, hopefully the showrunners can maintain the quality that made the show somewhat successful on CBS. I'm hoping that the show continues on CW for a while. You know, my daughter is five years old, and I'm hoping that eventually she will gain an appreciation for the show when she is more suited to sit through an hour-long program. But anyway, I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with chapters 13 and 14 of Adam Man vs. Superman. Hang around. It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Keep flying. A Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible. Cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western. And that makes us mighty. We found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job. They said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side. Not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on TutuFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. All right, welcome back, folks. And here we're going to go head right in with Chapter 13, Adam Man's Flying Saucers. Lois escapes with evidence which proves that Luthor is Atom Man. To stop her from using it, Luthor orders an attack on the Daily Planet. Superman survives the attack, and the recoil destroys the gun. A lot of important papers were destroyed by the heat. What happened to Clark Kent? He had a very important paper from Luthor's office. He gave it to me. I was able to read the impressions. What were they? A list of safe combinations of all the places that were robbed in Luthor's own handwriting. That's definite proof that Luthor is behind all these crimes. He may even be the Atom Man, just as Clark suspects. Clark's suspicions are correct. I'm quite sure Luthor is guilty. His television truck wasn't anywhere near here. No, but some of his men were. And I saw a suspicious-looking truck near the building. Look down there. That's the truck going south on Lincoln Boulevard. Lois. You and Jimmy follow it. I'll get you a police car. Lois and Jimmy go with the police to pursue the truck. Luthor teleports from his office to his hideout and views Superman arriving in his office too late. When the truck is found abandoned... Wait a minute. Superman warned us not to get too close to that truck. Well, it looks deserted enough. What can happen? They're at the truck now. Albert. Hit the truck with the full beam. Stop, Stop Lois! Stop! Luthor has triggered a remote beam to destroy the truck. Thanks, Superman. You warned us just in time. Were there explosives in that truck? No, but there was a power beam directed toward it by remote control. I could feel the beam when I was in the air. It's still vibrating. I can fly back along that beam and trace it to its source. We'll follow you in the car. All right, but keep as close as possible. Two crooks from the truck teleport away. Superman traces the remains of the beam back to the area of Luthor's hideout. 
You were right, Luthor. It is Superman. Will he discover this place? I've had these walls lined with lead to defeat his X-ray vision. Then we're safe. Not for long. Superman will have this entire locality searched. We must move to our final headquarters in the highest mountains. After that, we'll take off in our spaceship, from which we'll rain terror upon our earthly enemies. He tells Perry to have the area scouted. Clark and Lois fly over the area searching for the hideout. Luthor has a flying saucer launched to destroy the plane. What's that coming towards us? I don't know. It's one of those flying saucers. Alright, and I just want to remind everybody that the synopses for these chapters are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. And, uh, on to the analysis. Now, the narrator in the opening says the sheet of paper Lois has proves that Luthor is Adam Man. I'm not sure if it does, but it does prove he's behind the robberies as it has the impressions of the safe combinations that he wrote down for the jobs. But I'm not sure it proves the former, unless we've somehow connected the Adam Man to the crimes themselves. Superman falls to the ground after he's hit with a thermal gun, and he gives a nice look up back toward the wires when he hits the ground, and almost as if he wants to measure how far he fell. I just think that's kind of funny there. Meanwhile, Carl and Foster are checking out what happened. The thermal gun backfired on them and knocked Carl out. And when Carl went outside to check out Superman, you know, perhaps he should have turned it off first. Although maybe it wouldn't have backfired then, and they wouldn't have destroyed a, what appears to be a fairly expensive piece of equipment. So, it turns out, in this case, Superman didn't actually have to do anything. He just let the beam bounce off him. I like that Luthor is genius enough that his weapons can hurt Superman, but it was just bad luck on their part that they happened to knock Superman into some power lines, which seemed to have woken him up. You know, I, I find when I fall into power lines, that gives me a good jolt in the morning. Perhaps it's the same for him as well. Lois wonders about Clark and the note, and Superman indicates that Clark gave it to him. You know, if any of them were really paying attention to the behaviors of both Clark and Superman in this, it would have been child's play to figure out his identity. And, you know, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and kind of say Perry has figured it out because several chapters earlier when Superman had been sent off to the Empty Doom, Perry did put forth the theory that Clark Kent might be Superman. But, so, apparently now Superman has the post-it note with the impressions and he is able to bring out the impressions with his supervision. And apparently he knows Luthor's handwriting well enough that he can attribute the pencil impressions to him. That convinces Perry, who spent the better part of the serial defending Luthor, and Superman also confirms Clark's suspicion that Luthor is the Atom Man after Jimmy suggests it. You know, I'm not sure exactly how Superman has come to this conclusion, as the last time he tried to determine who Atom Man was, he all he discovered was the Atom Robot. And I also don't know how they're going to tie these pencil impressions to Luthor if only Superman can see them. I must imagine Luthor has a good enough lawyer to blow a hole in that. Or, I would say that I've watched too much CSI, but I never watched an episode of CSI in my life, so I'm just going to assume that that's not going to work. Lois is still disbelieving, but Superman identifies his men and the truck they're in, and Superman shows it driving away, and Perry tells Lois and Jimmy to follow it. There you go, Perry. Send your best people into danger by following dangerous criminals. You would think that was Superman's job. And another thing, I don't know how slow this truck is going, but by the time they get downstairs and in the car, there is no way they're going to find this truck, especially if it's going to take the police two minutes to arrive. And what exactly is Superman going to do in this time? 
He is really the only one fast enough to keep up with this truck. In a logical world, he'd be the only one able to keep up with the truck, as nobody is there to follow it, but he's going to go do something else. He's going to fly in another reverse shot as toward Luthor's office to try to take him by surprise. But Luthor will not be surprised, and he is fades away by the space transporter, and Luthor and his men watch the monitor of Luthor's office and are amused as Superman doesn't find any clues. So, now, the police are following Foster and Carl. Somehow, they finally caught up with them, somehow. Apparently, uh, maybe Foster and Carl pulled over and let the police catch up with them just for the sake of plot. That kind of reminds me of a quote from J. Michael Straczynski, who wrote some Superman comics and was the main creative force behind the television show Babylon 5. Someone once asked him how far the Star Furies, which were the ships, the fighter ships that the, uh, Earth's military used, and he said, they flew at the speed of plot. Apparently, this truck also drives at the speed of plot. So, we finally have a name for Luthor's main device here that he's been using to destroy things from afar. It's the Master Mechanism. Sounds like a kind of name Luthor would come up with. Now, Lois asks what can happen if they go near the deserted truck. I don't know how many things they've seen just randomly blow up for no reason, but I can think of any number of things that can happen if they go near a deserted truck. And whenever somebody asks that question, nothing good ever follows it. Anyway, Superman arrives just in time to warn them away as the truck explodes. Well, Lois, there's your answer. What can happen if you go near the deserted truck? It could explode. And apparently, Superman can feel the beam from the Master Mechanism. Apparently, he wasn't able to do this before, but he can do it now because the plot is allowing him to do so. And... It causes some feedback and damages the machine as it kind of sparks and uh, throws the uh, fear of God into bear. And Luthor puts forward that Superman must be flying along the beam. And they go to and Luthor, Bear, and Albert kind of go to this monitor and see Superman. I'm not exactly sure where they're getting these images so clear of Superman flying. They clearly must have cameras everywhere. They must have some kind of drone because this camera is doing a pretty good job keeping up with them. Luthor knows the end is near. And they are going to move to their final headquarters in what he calls the Highest Mountains. And we, this is when we learn that Luthor has a spaceship. This is chapter 13. Chapter 13 of 15. And we're just learning now about a spaceship? Where exactly has he been hiding this? Back at the planet, Perry tells Lois to go get Clark, and she quips about him hiding under the desk. The police chief gives her this great look as if he's wondering what she's talking about. It's priceless. And... What exactly is this police chief hoping to accomplish by hanging around Perry's office? You'd think he'd be out policing or something. As Clark walks by the radio editor's desk, he accidentally knocks some papers off, and he goes under the desk to find him, giving Lois a quick moment of glee as she does indeed find him under a desk. I said I'd find you under a desk, and I was right. Did you want me for something? Yes, I'll tell you about it on the way to the airport. Come on. At least she's smiling when she points that out to him, so we're not seeing any malice here, and she is quite convinced that she saw that Clark was picking up the papers and not hiding from something. So now, Lois and Clark are flying toward the area of Luthor's hideout. Again, Luthor and company kind of see them flying on that this little surveillance device they've got, which can apparently see just about anything. Luthor is about to send out a very animated flying saucer toward the plane, and Clark identifies it as one of those flying saucers. One of those flying saucers, Clark? Are these a common occurrence where you're from? Apparently, it's not common enough for Lois, as she screams out as the saucer flies toward them, destroys the plane, and the chapter ends. I'm guessing if uh, 
the, the flying saucer didn't destroy them, then it might, uh, at the very least, abduct them and uh, prep them for some probing. But I don't think anybody thought of that in 1950. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go right ahead to Chapter 14, Rocket of Vengeance. Luckily, Lois faints when seeing the saucer, so Superman can save her before the plane is destroyed. I saw your plane crash. The other plane smashed into you deliberately. That wasn't a plane. That was a flying saucer. Then that must have been sent out by the Atom Man. Yeah. From his hideout nearby in the hills here somewhere. Our cars are closed in on all sides. They'll locate him pretty soon. I hope so. Can you take us back to the airport? Sure, hop in. As the police are circling the area, Luthor twice broadcasts warnings to stop, or he'll continue using a sonic beam to cause earthquakes in Metropolis. Harry, it's only a matter of hours until my men locate Luthor and capture him. What a story we're going to roll off the presses. Hello? Oh, it's for you, Chief. Chief of Police talking. What's that? All right. My office says that Luthor is about to send a message over the police wavelength. Jimmy, turn on the radio. Attention, Chief of Police. This is Luthor speaking. Unless you give up trying to find me, I will bring disaster to the city of Metropolis. You have 15 minutes in which to do as I say. After that, you must take the consequences. I won't call off the search. Well, we have 15 minutes to see if Luthor means what he says. When Superman can't stop the second beam from threatening the planet building, the police agree to withdraw. Superman goes back to the hills area to search, followed by Lois and Jimmy. Luthor has two crooks launch an atomic projectile to stop Superman, but Superman catches it and flings it back. Station 3 to XL. Station 3 to XL. This is XL. I'm in Station 3. Superman threw the atomic projector back at us, and we sealed in a cave. Don't worry, I'll get you out. I'm going to deliver my ultimatum to Metropolis. Attention, Metropolis Police. Attention, Metropolis Police. This is Luthor. Your search for me has not been abandoned. Therefore, I'm going to destroy Metropolis by means of a giant rocket which will rise from its hiding place and travel to your city. Get me the chief police. Back at the Daily Planet, Lois and Jimmy abandon Perry when they spot the incoming rocket. Here it comes! Get a picture of it! Here, you take it. Superman rides the rocket as it approaches the planet building, while Luthor prepares to escape in a spaceship. So, as, as the synopsis says, luckily, Lois passes out. He is very lucky that she nearly has a stroke here. I wonder what would have happened if he wasn't so lucky. Would he have just let the flying saucer run into the plane and kill her? The way he's been acting in this serial, that might be the only way to maintain his secret identity. So... Clark takes advantage of his impeccable luck, or maybe he did a super-powered nerve pinch or something. Now, I love the look on the faces of Bear and Albers as they fire the saucer at the plane. They're smiling and enjoying it. 
Superman runs out of the back of the plane and rescues Lois as they drop to the ground. Now, as they're flying away, the saucer hits the plane and it blows up. But what amazes me here is, the plane is still flying. D does this plane have autopilot? Did the planes in 1950 have that? And is it cheap enough that the Daily Planet can have in their company plane? Those are questions that are not going to get answered, but I would like to have answered nonetheless. Superman places Lois on the ground, and Clark just happens to be there as she comes to. It's interesting that she comes to just as Superman leaves, isn't it? It's also very convenient. Now, one gag that has continued from the first serial to this one is, is Lois's continued annoyance with Clark for not being as enamored with Superman as she is. How did we get here? Why, Superman flew us out of the plane before it crashed. He saved us again. Isn't he wonderful? I don't know what I'd do without him. Sometimes I think you're jealous of him. She talks up the jealousy and we move on. And it's best that we do. I don't know. I, I can't see uh, Clark getting all gushing over Superman as she is. Now here comes this random cop telling us what we already know, giving us a good chance to catch up on the events of last chapter. Gotta remember, every chapter might be somebody's first. And this cop is awful calm when Clark tells him that they were hit by a flying saucer. I guess these kinds of things are normal in the mountains outside of Metropolis. And judging from Clark's tone of voice here, I think he enjoyed telling his fantastic story. Meanwhile, Luthor is listening to the police band and determines the police are closing in. So, he does what anyone else would do. He orders the men to hurry up with that spaceship. Yeah, you guys over there, hurry up with that order. Like at the fast food joint. The police chief is very confident that they'll capture Luthor soon, and it's almost as if he's reporting to Perry. Shouldn't he be reporting this to the mayor? Or somebody? Or maybe Perry is the mayor? Well, I don't know. But you wouldn't think he'd be giving Perry White all this information. And apparently people know to call the chief at the planet. The police chief, that is. Not the editor-in-chief in the paper. I don't know. Maybe uh, this police chief and Perry are drinking buddies, and uh, we don't know. By this point, Luthor has completely abandoned the Atom Man, as he has given up all pretense of being a law-abiding citizen. I'm betting if Lois knew all it would take for him to do this is to swipe a sheet of, sheet of paper off his desk, she might have swiped a piece of paper off her desk quite some time ago and saved everybody a lot, a lot of time and trouble. So, but he now he's going to make threats to bring disaster to the city, you know, much as like he was in Chapter 1. And the police chief won't call off the search. He's willing to take the risk of Metropolis being destroyed. I wonder what the mayor would say to that. The 15 minutes that Luthor has allotted have passed, as shown by a dissolve on Clark's watch, which goes from 2 to 2.15. Neat little effect there. I like it. And Luthor is going to show he means business by... Turn on the sonic vibrator. You'll see how they like an earthquake in Metropolis. I kid you not, dear listeners, Luthor actually did call that a sonic vibrator. Which sounds dirty, but is just going to cause an earthquake in the city. No other earthquakes. I promise. But Luthor was nice enough to only cause a minor earthquake as a warning. And the panicking people demand he make a deal with Luthor before he turns his vibrator up to full power. Meanwhile, this whole time, Clark is standing there very silently listening to Luthor make his threats. You would think he'd be out doing something, but apparently waiting is the best thing he can do at this time. Well, now he's going to go after the planet, easily the most picked-on building in Metropolis. It's probably also the only building in Metropolis that has any interior sets. Well, anyway, the uh, police chief is smoking. You don't see that much on TV at all, these days, if you see it at all. Alright, and Luthor is back to playing with his sonic vibrator, and the planet is a-shaking. 
Everyone in the newsroom is running for the hills, and Perry and the police chief are just standing there. Meanwhile, Superman, meanwhile, basically grabs the wall next to the front entrance and is going to hold up the building from there. Okay, if that works, you can keep the doorway standing at the very least. This doesn't happen in this era, but it would be extremely amusing if, uh, you know, the whole building fell and Superman was just kind of there hand-holding the door frame. I would have found that amusing. I'm not sure anybody else would have, but I would have. Apparently, the explanation for standing in the doorway is that he can stop the beam from there, for now. But he urges the police chief to call off the search, so he can do something other than stand there and look like he's holding up one building in a city that has many. But meanwhile, Luthor is demanding to know if the men can work harder on the spaceship. Uh, where is he going to go? I don't think Lexor has been invented yet. The comics are still in the Golden Age. The Silver Age, from which the planet Lexor has been created, still won't start for another few years. But apparently he his best plan uh, of escape is to just go into space where there is nothing. Not the most well-out plan Luthor has ever thought of. So, now at this point, Bear is starting to get a little nervous, and it seems like he's kind of getting ready to bolt. But he doesn't. Luthor is going to beat his enemies into submission. He'll already have a spaceship, and the only one who can follow him with that is Superman, who he still has to find a way to deal with. And I'm not sure the sonic vibrator is going to be enough to deal with Superman. Superman is flying with his backwards S, going back towards the mountain to find where Luthor is. Luthor and Albers are keeping an eye on him, and we've seen this guy reporting him before. He was around a few chapters ago when Lois asked for help with the car. If you remember, he's the one who didn't know anything about automobiles. And now, being that Superman and Lois and Jimmy are looking, Luthor comes up with a new plan, so he's going to trade in his sonic vibrator for an atomic projectile. And this weapon looks a lot like the machine Hackett built. And, ironically enough, the same thing happens. Superman throws it back, and sealing Foster and Carl in a cave. I think this was the exact same shot from the last serial where the exact same thing happened. Now Luthor is ready to deliver an ultimatum. One chapter earlier than the spider lady did. And judging by the look on Perry's face, I think he just crapped his pants. He obviously wants to know what to do. And obviously, he doesn't like the chief's answer because... He says they can't sit there waiting to be wiped out. Apparently, the police chief has chosen now that there's a rocket aimed at the planet building. He has chosen this time to leave. Smart man. Apparently, there was no money in the budget for the city to buy defense against giant rockets. And apparently, all the hills are lead-lined. That's the only thing that makes sense and probably why Luthor is hiding there. After all, if only one hill was lined with lead, that would give Superman a pretty good idea of where to go. That's one of the fallacy criminals have had over his x-ray vision throughout the years. They think the lead protects them from him finding them. First, they're forgetting he can hear through lead. But even more importantly, if Superman sees five warehouses on the docks, one's lined with lead, and four aren't, which one is he going to check first? Yeah, the lead one. So here's the dumbest decision Lois is going to make today. Luthor has threatened to launch a rocket at Metropolis. I hope he finds it in time to save Metropolis. Let's get back to the office. What for? To be hit by that rocket? We'll write the story, even if it's our last one. I'd rather read about it. I'm with Jimmy here. If you're in a safe place from a giant rocket, stay there. If I were Jimmy, I'd have refused to get in the car with that woman and stand there by myself in the mountains surrounded by gangsters then get hit by, an by a giant rocket. But Lois has other priorities. She's worried about the story. She hasn't considered the fact that if she's killed by this rocket, how she's going to write the story. Apparently, she'll be writing it in the afterlife. Luthor says this rocket will emerge from its hiding place. Well, 
judging by what I'm seeing on the screen, this thing doesn't look very hidden. And it also doesn't look very scary. It looks like something my stepson and I shot off with the Rocket Club about a year or so ago. But anyway, Perry is a newsman to the end. He wants a picture of this rocket, and Jimmy is about to set up the camera until he decides he doesn't want to die, gives the camera to Perry, and gets the hell out of there. Perry, since he wants this photo so bad, has an opportunity to take it. But what does he do? He decides he doesn't want to hang in there as Superman is riding this rocket to the chapter's end. And I really don't blame him. I'd get out of there, too. Anyway, I am going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to see what, what kind of trouble people decide to get into when... The final chapter of Adam Man vs. Superman. Hang around. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, welcome back, folks. There we go. Chapter 15. Superman saves the universe. Superman manages to deflect the atomic missile into the sea. Luthor's identity as Adam Man has been publicly exposed. And the giant atomic missile intended for a lethal blow against Metropolis was diverted far out to sea by Superman. The search continues for Luthor, the Adam Man self-styled dictator who seems to have declared war on the world. So, I've declared war, have I? Well, they shall see a real dictator at work. I'll stop at nothing. What about Superman? Physically, he may be indestructible, but he still does possess the human failing of sentimentality. We can hardly use that to our advantage. We can, Albert. We can. <laughs> Luthor re repeats placing a token in a gift to teleport Lois to his hideout. An admirer. Why, you low-down cousin to a cobra. Conserve your energies, Miss Lane. It's quite possible you shall be the only remaining human of the female species. What are you doing? Playing Noah's Ark? Very well put, Miss Lane. That's precisely what I have in mind. You're mad as a hatter. You know it's impossible. Is it? This is my directional cyclotron. With it, I can produce subterranean fission at any desired point beneath the Earth's surface. In short, I can create earthquakes of any strength. You can't destroy the world without destroying yourself. Can't I? Foreseeing the day when a vacation from Earth might be desirable, I've constructed a spaceship. It's an airborne laboratory equipped with every one of my inventions. Once it is circling in the outer reaches of space, I can be transferred to it at a mere flick of a switch. You can't escape Superman. He'll do nothing as long as I hold you hostage. Albert! Is the spaceship ready for flight? Yes, sir. You are about to witness a momentous event. A great honor. You and Bear take off. Float in stratosphere at zero gravity. 
and wait for my orders. Bear. Two aides launch his spaceship, ready for him to teleport to and escape. Luthor has a cyclotron aimed at part of Metropolis. I'm holding Lois Lane as hostage for my safety. I advise Superman not to try anything foolish. One move against me and it'll be the last you'll see of Miss Lane. For those who doubt my powers, I will give you a demonstration. Within the hour, I shall destroy the east side of your city. You'll never get away with this. Uh, but I will, Miss Lane, as you'll soon see. Superman helps save people in the earthquake, then flies to the hill the police believe has Luthor's hideout. Attention cars, 39, 56, 93. Go to vicinity of Prospect Mountain. Atom Man believed barricaded and cave. Proceed with caution. We can't locate the cave entrance, but Luthor's in there somewhere. Are you sure? Uh, several farmers reported seeing some kind of a projector launch from up there. Follow me. Cops are outside and Superman's with them. Send out a shockwave. It's suicide at such close range. It'll collapse the cave. Do as I tell you. Foster, man the controls. We'll be buried alive. You haven't the spine of a jellyfish. But his men refuse, Luthor triggers a quake outside the hideout and teleports with Lois to the spaceship. Superman breaks into the hideout where the men try to stop him with the now useless synthetic kryptonite. That won't do you any good. Your synthetic kryptonite has lost its strength. All right, where's Luthor and Miss Lane? They're in a spaceship in the stratosphere. I'll leave you here for the police. Then Superman flies up to the spaceship. He rescues Lois and captures Luthor, then flies off, leaving the ship to explode. Superman leaves Luthor at the Daily Planet to be arrested. Put him back in jail. This time, make sure he stays there. Later. Jimmy's on his way up with a piece of synthetic kryptonite. They found it on one of Luthor's men. Good. I want you two to dispose of it. Oh, Chief, uh... Couldn't Lois do it alone? What's the matter, Clark? It doesn't affect anybody except Superman. I'll take it. Well, it looks like a piece of cinder, doesn't it? What's wrong? I thought it would affect you because... Because you thought I was Superman, is that it? <laughs> oh, well, this is synthetic, you know. Are you trying to make me think you are Superman? Then you still don't think so? Of course I don't. I was silly to think it even for a moment, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, I guess you were. Now, if you two are through playing games, we might get on with the greatest story of the century. Well, I'm going to grab a quick cup of coffee first. I'll be right with you. All right. On a note of this title, no, Superman doesn't, does not save the universe. Even Luthor's reach doesn't go that far. He might save the Earth, but he does not save the universe. In 1950, we are not nearly that important to the universe. We're still not that important to the universe. Well, anyway, Superman is riding this missile, and I like that he puffs out his chest and uses his legs to yank it upward and away from the city. Or more specifically, away from the Daily Planet building, which really is the only building we're concerned about in this city. The animation is a little wonky as it gets to the planet, 
because it goes up at a 45 degree angle, so Superman can ride it out to sea. Now once he gets out to sea, that looks decent, and we got some footage of a mushroom cloud in the ocean. The live action to animation works pr looks pretty well done here. You know, there's a close-up of Superman on the rocket as he looks like he's about to jump off, and when it cuts to a long shot, you see Superman hovering in the air and darting away as the rocket goes out to sea. Well, that's a lot of how I would envision Superman flying. He'd kind of hover for a minute, make sure everything's okay, then dart off at super speed. The flying effects take a beating in these serials, and rightly so, but they couldn't do this any other way in 1950. Like I said before, if there's one saving grace to the animated flying effects, is that Superman is able to fly in the shot, other than an extreme close-up. Now, Perry comes back to the window when he realizes the building wasn't hit by the rocket, and I think he's a little frustrated here. Not only is he alive, but he also didn't get the shot. Now we move to Luthor. Bear and Albert are looking very unhappy as they hear the news. And now Luthor is getting downright evil, and he lets out a laugh that makes me uncomfortable. And if it's making me uncomfortable all these years later, imagine how Baron Albers must feel a few feet from him. And this radio report made him angry when it referred to him as a self-styled dictator who seems to have declared war on the world. I'm a journalist. You can't say that. On the air. Not without proper attribution. I can't go to the mayor of one of the towns that I cover and write in the paper that he is a self-styled dictator. I would be out on the street. Very quickly. Maybe even faster than a speedy bullet. And now Luthor has mailed Lois a coin. You know, if at first your plan succeeds, try it again. And I don't know how many times this has to happen before the Daily Planet staff stops opening anonymous packages. You see that now. How many times does your computer have to get a virus before you stop opening dumb emails? Lois, you are stupid. And I've got your dunce cap right here. The minute you saw that coin... You should have gotten the hell away from that thing. Whatever happens to you is now your own fault. And she leaves sitting down and arrives standing up. How does that work? This scene where Lois confronts Luthor may have worked better if she slapped him instead of just throwing the coin to the floor. He finally calls his machine the Cyclotron. I guess that's better than Sonic Vibrator. And Cyclotron has some ties to the comic books. Now, in Perry's office, Jimmy must be the only one who knows how to use the radio, as he always has to turn it on. I do think at one point we saw Clark turning it on, but Jimmy wasn't there to do it for him. Now we are waiting for Luthor to use the cyclotron to create another earthquake. Now, there goes Perry under his desk as the director intercuts the production footage with newsreel images of actual quakes. Now, Superman saves some screaming women and another guy under a pillar. We see Superman demonstrating some feats of strength and... That's when Superman hears a police message about Adam Man being barricaded. But before I get to that, you know, like I said from the beginning, I'm very pleased with the amount of super feats that we've seen in, in this particular serial over the first one. And now Superman is on his way to Luthor, and with Superman just outside, Luthor wants Carl to attack with the Cyclotron. And Carl points out that it's suicide, and Foster refuses, not wanting to be buried alive. A sensible desire, to be sure. Luthor is losing it here, and you can see his desperation as he throws both of his men to the side. Their lives mean nothing to him. The cave is falling apart now, and Carl and Foster fight back and punch Luthor long enough to stop the machine. I'm kind of amazed that these two guys, who basically have been little more than dumb muscle, actually knew how to turn the machine off. Now Luthor and Lois head up to the spaceship as Superman approaches the cave. Carl and Foster go for the synthetic kryptonite, but they don't realize that it doesn't work anymore. And I like the way Superman comes through the cave wall. 
This serial did more with live action than the previous one. I don't know if there was any more money in the budget, or if they had learned better techniques in the two years between serials. Superman goes after the spaceship. This doesn't look like a very well put together ship. It looks like a greenhouse. Albert can look down through the exhaust vent and see Superman. And if... And Superman flies up through the vent, causing Bear and Albert to knock themselves out. And Superman grabs Luthor and Lois. Luthor is in pain. Lois is smiling. And I guess they're not in space yet because Superman manages to get them out of the ship before it gets hit with a something and explodes with Albers and Bear aboard. I guess Superman wasn't going to be going back for them. I still wish I had known whether Luthor and his party were just were going to do after they left the cave. Where were they just going to drift forever in space? You know, that doesn't seem like much of an escape, does it? Superman brings Lois and Luthor back to the planet. Okay. I understand taking Lois back to the Daily Planet, but why Luthor? Shouldn't he bring him to the police instead of leaving him with the newspaper editor? That's Regardless, that's where he leaves him. And I like Superman's frustration with Luthor as he brings him to the planet, telling Perry to make sure he stays in jail this time. Anyway, it looks as though some time has passed. At least a little bit of time, not too much. Lois is practicing some of her portrait drawing skills. In the f and in the final scene of the serial, as she has drawn Clark without his glasses, he kind of looks like Superman there. And then, we don't know what kind of connection she's making, because she draws the glasses right on after that. Apparently, it's going to be Lois and Clark's job to dispose of synthetic kryptonite. I'm not exactly sure why it's their job. You would think there'd be some hazmat or scientists who want to take a look at that thing. But, nope, we're going to give it to the two reporters to get rid of. I don't know what they're going to do with it. But anyway, Lois tries to expose Clark to the synthetic kryptonite, but it has no effect. And there's our final bit of playful banter as Clark kind of strings her along for a fun minute until Lois dismisses the possibility of Clark being Superman. Now, it's a sweet little coda, and you can tell the actors are having a great time. And although I'm greatly looking forward to my upcoming coverage of The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, I'm going to miss this group. Kirk Allen and Noel Neal had some great chemistry together. And after they leave Perry's office for the final time, the cigar gag finally picks off, as Perry burns the match too much and nearly burns his fingers. As the serial ends, giving us one last bit of comedy before the final curtain drops. Now, some final thoughts. I enjoyed this serial much more than I did the first one. Especially as the cliffhangers seem a lot less contrived this time around. You know, the presence of Luthor in this story felt like it was ripped straight out of the comics. Regrettably, Kirk Allen would have a modest TV career after this, but did return to the Superman mythos in 1978 when he cameoed as Lois Lane's father in Superman the movie. He died in 1999 at the age of 88. Obviously, Noel Neal would become synonymous with Lois Lane, and she returns to the role starting with the second season of The Adventures of Superman. She truly is the first lady of Metropolis, and really has embraced her part in, in Superman mythology, especially Superman's screen mythology, having appeared in Superboy, the TV show that aired from about 1988 to 1992, I believe. Superman Returns in 2006. She came back, she reunited with Kirk Allen in Superman the movie, play Lois Lane's mother. And you could tell from hearing her speak that being Lois Lane and the legacy that has come along with that has meant a great deal to her. When so many people today are ready to do their time in the cape or 
where do their short time associated with a superhero property and kind of finish and move on. It's refreshing to see someone look back on it fondly and appreciate their role in something that people have enjoyed for generations at this point. Uh, as are some of the other actors, Tommy Bond had less of a career in show business than Alan did after Superman. He played a few more roles and worked in prop management and as a stage director on TV. He died in 2005 at the age of 79. Pierre Watkin continued to work until his death 10 years later at age 70. He would actually appear once in the Adventures of Superman TV series in a season one episode entitled The Case of the Talkative Dummy, which a show I enjoyed. When John Hamilton died in 1958, I believe, I don't know off the top of my head without looking up, but there was talk of Pierre Watkin coming back to Superman playing Perry White's brother or cousin or something like that. But obviously it never happened as George Reeves died shortly after that. That does it for the two Superman serials starring Kirk Allen. Next time... The Adventures of Superman. Starring George Reeves. So, as usual, you can contact the show by emailing manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook by searching for the Man of Screen podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Man of Screencast, or you can send me an iTunes review. Um, I've got one. I'll read it. Maybe I'll read that next week. It's actually from March. I just happened to check the iTunes feed and saw that there was a review there. I apparently didn't get an email for it. But until next time, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and no one else. All music and sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.